Blog Talk Radio. August 19th, 2012 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the podcast devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and also joining me here in the studio today, returning after being exiled last week, is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Today, we would like to discuss with you the following stories. First, we are going to do a tiny bit of follow-up on the interview with your own Brooke from last week, a couple of stories that were interesting from this week that are relevant, but then we have our main topic for today. Earlier this week, the Libertarian Party sent out an email in which they were bragging, quote, Libertarian presidential candidate Governor Gary Johnson could deprive Mitt Romney of five battleground states, 74 electoral votes, 27% of the electoral votes needed to win in 2012, end quote. So, given that, and also given the nomination of Paul Ryan, Bosch and I think it's therefore the perfect time to start what we are calling our, quote, intervention, end quote, for Gary Johnson voters series. And in the coming weeks, we will be bringing you stories that will show what it's going to be like if Obama is elected for another term. And then listeners, if there would be Johnson voters or otherwise, can decide whether helping to bring this about, another Obama term, is something that they want to do or especially that they want to brag about helping to do this. Uh, Today, in terms of factual things that we're going to go ahead and and put into uh, our story to give you this portrayal of Obama's next term, I've got Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and energy subsidies. So that's where we're going to start there. Those of you who are attending live can call in and weigh in on these topics. The phone number is 760-888-5817, and it's displayed in the window, you know, the browser at Blog Talk Radio. You can also participate in the chat room, and there are a number of people hanging out in there. And I've got Derek saying, Obama Johnson 2012, which is basically this. You know, if you vote for Johnson, it's essentially a vote for Obama. I had a cartoon last year called Obama Romney, but I think I might do a new one, Obama Johnson. That's pretty good. Yeah, that is pretty good. A couple announcements. I've got upcoming interviews. They're not yet scheduled in terms of the exact date, but I have confirmation that all three of the interview subjects are willing to come and talk. Don Watkins from the Ayn Rand Institute. Yeah, and he's he's the co-writer of, of uh, the book that Yaron discussed last week. John Allison, who was a former CEO of BB&T and current head of Cato, is, has agreed to come on, and Leonard Peikoff. So the three books, respectively, are Free Market Revolution. Uh, for John Allison, we've got The Financial Crisis and The Free Market Cure. And then from Leonard Peikoff, The Dim Hypothesis. So stay tuned for the exact schedule. I would say somewhere between now and mid-October, All three of those interviews will take place. I've got a lot of reading to do to prepare for each interview. I've got an important book to read, so I've got my work cut out for me, but I'm glad to have it because I'm glad to have so many exciting books come out. Okay, so as I said, I want a a little bit of follow-up from last week. I've put a link in the chat room. If you would like to help that interview from last week, your own interview, get some more exposure through Blog Talk Radio. They have a little contest that they're sponsoring right now. It's called the Summer Quotes Contest, and it asks hosts like me to choose a quote that was, you know, something that was said during the show and that was relevant. And I, I picked a quote from your own from last week, and it talked about the importance of, and this is this is a point that I really like because. I did want to know what he thought the effect of Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney would be in terms of the ability to educate the culture in, in the future. You know, because that's what the institute's concerned with. It's concerned with its educational mission. And he said something very interesting. He talked about Obama being able hmm. to have the bully pulpit 
for four more years and spread his egalitarian nihilist ideas and how detrimental that is for bringing Americans around to the proper conception of what this country was founded on, a proper American sense of life. And he'll be appealing to the worst within us. That's that's, that's what he does. And and so I thought that was a very interesting point. So I went ahead and excerpted a quote from the interview to that effect, and I entered it into the contest. And there were a number of votes. I think people have had trouble voting. Do what you can. Try to be patient. I've had a lot of trouble with the Blog Talk Radio servers this week. So... Anyway, uh, go ahead and, and, and click on what you do is you scroll down on that page. If you go to that link that's there in the chat room, scroll down on that page till you get to my actual original post that I put into that thread. And then there's a little thing that you can click that says good point. And when you do, it adds a little star to the rating and then it helps that quotation win and then therefore is supposed to get us more exposure for that show. So thanks for doing that if you do it. Uh, in terms of other follow-up from last week, I mean, we have seen so much. The Randex, I don't know if you follow mm. Randex, but Randex has been going nuts with Ayn Rand references in the last week. And it's, it seems hard to keep up with the volume of smears. Mm. And then there's also some really good defenses out there, and not just from ARI people. But it was interesting. Don Watkins got pieces placed in both The Guardian UK and The Daily Caller this week. So check those out. Spread them around. Yaron posted his first, what he calls, vlog. Video blog, it's, Yeah, it's like a video blog talking about the nature of capitalism, which I think will be helpful. And then I've just got a couple of, of tidbits here. There's a piece that I found because of Tom Bowden. He was sharing it on Facebook. Uh, Tom Bowden of the Ayn Rand Center passed around this piece. It was written by someone named Benjamin Wicker, Wiker, W-I-K-E-R, who writes for the National Catholic Register. The article is the Paul Ryan Ayn Rand Connection, What's a Catholic to Think? And it was posted on the 18th of August. This guy is no fan of Ayn Rand, and I don't want to belabor this at all. You know, he he went and asked, you know, what what could, for instance, he says, what could Paul Ryan possibly find attractive in Ayn Rand? And he says, as it turns out, that's exactly what I asked Paul Ryan about two years ago in a personal interview on Capitol Hill. And it turns out he's written some book in which he says that, um, you know, the, 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 it's 10 books that every conservative must read and then one imposter. And so Rand is an imposter. You know, he doesn't like her at all. But here's the quotation that he attributes to Paul Ryan two years ago. Ryan supposedly said two years ago. Yes, it's two years ago. He says, quote, I am by no means an objectivist. I am a Catholic, you know. I am nothing close to an objectivist, but I do think Ayn Rand did a service, did a great job of outlining the morality of capitalism, of making the moral case for freedom, free enterprise, and capitalism. You don't have to buy into all the objectivist stuff to appreciate what she did on that front, end quote. And then here's in the article, he says, Ryan went on to affirm the need for a moral basis of free enterprise and to express his great appreciation of other conservative economic thinkers and so on. So this just reinforces what we talked about last week in terms of Ryan, not just for purely political reasons, distancing himself from Rand, that this is probably something that's just a true part of his belief system. He'd be that honest, yeah. he, he sees himself as subscribing to certain parts of Rand and he thinks that he can reconcile that with his Catholicism. Of course, a lot of us who are objectivists, we say he's wrong because you're trying to reconcile reason and faith as the basis of your philosophical and ethical and political beliefs, but nonetheless, that is what he's trying to do. The other thing that I uh, noticed that I wanted to, to point out is that we are seeing fundamental issues being discussed as a result of the Paul Ryan nomination, issues that might not have been discussed otherwise. So, for example, I've got a Wall Street Journal. It's an opinion piece from August 17th, and it's entitled Paul Ryan's Catholicism and the Poor. It's co-written by Anthony Davies and Christina Antolin. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to say how it is that Paul Ryan's free market anti-government intervention, you know, to the extent that he is, 
his perspective is consistent with Catholicism. That's what they're tra- their Catholics are trying to reconcile this. So they say someone is twisting the Catholic Church's teaching on caring for the poor, but it isn't Paul Ryan. His controversial budgetary ideas demonstrate that he has a better grasp of Catholic social thought than do many of the American Catholic bishops. They say the culmination of centuries of theological and philosophical thought, the church's teachings cannot simply be satisfied by the government edict to, quote, feed the poor, end quote. They say commanding let there be light works fine for God, but for mortal beings, edicts don't carry the same punch. And they say the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has long supported government interference in the economy as a means to help the poor. But we suspect the bishops haven't fully thought this through. They said if God really did favor a top-down approach to poverty reduction, why wouldn't he establish a government with the power to wipe away poverty on demand instead of leaving things to chance and possibly that someone like Mr. Ryan would come along and mess up his plans? And then they talk about the issue of, of voluntary charity, and they say the word voluntary is key. He says it's where Mr. Ryan's religious detractors go awry. And here's the key quote from their article. They say, charity can only be charity when it is voluntary. Coerced acts, no matter how beneficial or well-intentioned, cannot be moral. If we force people to give to the poor, we have stripped away the moral component, reducing charity to mere income redistribution. And if one really is as good as the other, the Soviets demonstrated long ago that it can be done far more efficiently without the trappings of church and religion. And then, of course, they say, and they believe this, all people have the moral obligation to care for those who are less fortunate. But replacing morality with legality is the first step in replacing church, religion, and conscience with government, politics, and majority vote. They say coercing people to feed the poor simply substitutes moral poverty for material poverty. And they say the bishops dance with the devil when they invite government to use its coercive power on their behalf. And there's no clearer example than the Affordable Care Act. So they're going after Obamacare. Uh, The bishops, they say, happily joined their moral authority to the government's legal authority by supporting mandatory health insurance. They should not have been surprised when the government used its reinforced power to require Catholic institutions to pay for insurance plans that cover abortions and birth. So see, it comes back and slaps them in the face. So, obviously, they're trying to wrestle with these issues. Right. The Catholics are. Not that the Catholics are a huge they majority or anything to, else. They're being forced to. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think, you know, I agree with Yaron from last week that this would not be happening. This discussion, yep. this trying to reconcile the, you know, the, the moral basis of ideologies like Catholicism with the political ideology of the free market of government not coercing people to re- redistribute wealth. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if the discussion would be happening. Now, mind you, we don't know what the majority is going to turn out leaving at this point in time, but we have these discussions going on. So I think that that was a good sign. Yep. There was also a lot of discussion at my blog in reaction to uh, you know, you know, your own appearance last week. I'll just give you one little tidbit, but you can go check out my blog at don'tletitgo.com if you want to get in on more of the discussion in reaction to your own's interview. A, a regular listener named Harold stated in one of the comments that it was his fantasy that neither candidate in this election would get the 270 electoral votes that's required to win. And how is that going to happen? Gary Johnson would take New Mexico and Maine and therefore prevent this from happening. And I guess, and I don't know if this has ever happened in the past because I have a deficient history education, but if that happens, (laughs) then the president uh, would be decided by the House and then the vice president by the Senate. Now, as for me, Harold, I do not want to leave the fate of this country this November to chance like that, to say, okay, you know, let's just hope that if Gary Johnson wins those states, neither of them can get the 270. And then, of course, we think we know what will happen when right. the House and the Senate are doing we'll their leave thing. Leave the politicians, not the people. Yeah. Oh, that, that's all we need. So this is 
a transition into our little story for today. We are starting our intervention for Gary Johnson voters series mm-hmm. in, in hopes that the election this fall and the fate of the country this fall is not left to chance in, in that regard. Bosch and I actually had the idea for this a few weeks ago, but we didn't think we would bring any of this in this far away right. from the election. We thought we'd wait a bit. But as I said, the you know the Paul Ryan pick, which has made the whole thing yep. a little bit more interesting yes. than just Mitt Romney, and uh, also you know as an aside, today I saw a reference from Ken Gardner. Maybe, many of you might follow Ken Gardner on Facebook or Twitter. He referred uh, everyone to an article that I saw on uh, Fox, and it's Libertarian Party eyes spoiler role in 2012 race. And we decide, okay, maybe we just need to step it up a little bit sooner and start talking about our intervention series. I'll explain what I mean by intervention in a second. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's not meant to say, you know, you're some horrible alcoholic that can't think at all if you're deciding to vote for Gary Johnson. I mean, that would be ridiculous. How could I hope to persuade you otherwise if you can't think at all? Um, this would be bad. But I'll uh, I'll explain what I mean and how our style of intervention is obviously way different than the typical Alcoholics Anonymous or (laughs) Drug Addicts Anonymous or whatever type of intervention. Now, now what do I mean when I say by chance, you know, leaving things to chance if we go ahead and mix Gary Johnson in there and have Gary Johnson taking away some of the margin that Mitt Romney might be able to grab? First of all, we know that Obama will try everything possible between now and the election to make his candidacy look more attractive. Uh, everybody maybe has seen stories zooming around for the last couple months or so that Obama is thinking of taking steps to trying to figure out how to free up these so-called oil reserves that the federal government has. As I understand, the federal government has oil reserves that are supposed to be saved for times of emergency and that Obama is thinking of releasing these oil reserves in order to bring down the price of gasoline so that everybody's in a good mood when yep. they're driving to the uh, voting booth and in November. And they'll credit him in his mind. Yeah, of course. Let's, let's give Obama the credit. But, you know, they don't care where the, well, to him, this is where the oil reserves are coming uh, from. Possibly losing the, the election. Yeah, is, losing, is the, losing the election. You know, Michelle Obama can't go on those great vacations right. anymore. I don't know. Um, I'm feeling very catty now because it's he. He just makes me so mad. The other thing that he is has just done, and I, I haven't heard that he has freed up the oil reserves. I just keep hearing this talk that he wants to. I haven't heard definitively that he has, but I do have another article from the Wall Street Journal, August seventeenth. White House frees up funds for state infrastructure projects. Yeah. Okay, and through some complicated political bureaucratic hoops that I don't even want to try to untangle. As I understand it, there are something called idle earmarks. And Obama, without the cooperation of Congress, because again, he's not able to free up money and do all this stuff, without the cooperation of Congress, is able to free up 10 years worth of idle earmarks so that the states can use to go ahead and have you know you can have you can be driving down a freeway and it'll say your right. tax dollars at work and then you'll see all of these government workers on the side of the road like having coffee breaks and stuff and pretending that they're doing construction projects 470 million dollars he has freed up through some complicated bureaucratic procedure that he was able to do without the help of congress so this is the sort of thing that you're going to see from him more and more in the time between now and the election, is he really going to talk about any real issues? No, he's trying to buy votes, okay? And I I love, there was a Michael Ramirez cartoon this week that was great, and it was each of, you know, it was Romney versus Obama talking about the issues that are important this election, and you've got the great little caricatures of each one, of course. And with Romney, there's all these different issues that he's discussing. I mean, something like a dozen or two dozen, at least, different issues that, that Romney has actually been talking about when he's on the campaign trail. And then Obama, there's just one little you know, uh, text bubble or whatever at the top. Where is Romney's tax return? That's the whole focus. That's the issue of our time. Right. You know, I mean, where is Romney's tax tax returns? Uh That's it. So it's so, it's so, so important, right? So this is what I mean by 
leaving it to chance. Obama's not doing anything in terms of substance. He's trying to buy votes and, you know, get people rallied around the idea of class warfare, especially by looking at Romney's tax returns and, of course, you know, the the rate of tax that Romney has paid because Romney, most of his money, his income is through investment. So, of course, he pays a lower rate of tax. I mean, it's just just nuts. So... uh, I don't know if anybody of you, if you guys, if you follow in trade, Richard Salzman, uh, who's an objectivist, he writes for Forbes a lot, and he's also a financial analyst, economic analyst. I think he's got now his PhD. So he is Dr. Richard Salzman. He follows this service called in trade. And in in trade, as far as I understand it, people go there and they lay their own money on the line, betting, predicting whether future events will take place or not. And right now, if you go to Intrade, I looked there earlier today, 57.6% of people who lay their money on the line based on how much they're willing to buy or sell shares and whatever this event is going to happen, 57.6% think that Obama is going to win this fall. Now, does that really mean anything? I don't know. Uh, Salzman thinks that Intrade is actually more reliable than the Gallup polls that we've been seeing. The latest Gallup poll I saw put Obama at 47% right. and Romney at 43%. I, I, sm- I don't know. I smelled a rat because I think people, in lieu of giving directly to his, his campaign, probably paid up on uh, Intrade and said, yeah, he's going to win and you know put a whole ton of money, him and also some you know the other gang members. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was something, and it was funny because Bosch said, about as much as this earlier, you know, I think a couple days ago to me. And it didn't quite hit me, I think, until today. Wouldn't it be easy for people who wanted to support the Obama campaign just to throw their money into Intrade and make it look hopeless for the Romney voters? To discourage voters, to say, oh, okay, Obama's going to win again. Let me not go vote. I I, I mean, look, again, I I wouldn't put anything past him or his whole gang. Nothing. I, I I really don't know if there's a way to sway it that way. There's uh, attendance at events. There's been a number of stories about the sparse attendance at Obama events. And then Bosch told me what it was. What, what, what's, I forgot what, how they put it. But what they, did the campaign say? They said that uh, they want smaller attendance now. That they they want smaller attendance now at Obama rallies. Yeah. I mean, they actually said this. Why Why you would want smaller attendance at Obama rallies? They don't, right? but. You know, because they can't get it. And right now, Romney, you know, Romney Ryan. And it's interesting also, this whole Romney Ryan thing. Uh, everyone's saying that. You know, no one's saying Romney. They're, everyone's saying Romney Ryan because, you know, Romney's a real legitimate candidate for even even the presidency. You mean Ryan is? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? You said Romney is. No. I said, well, I met, I yeah, met Ryan. You met yeah, Ryan. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the idea is that with this ticket, you actually do mention yeah. the identity right. of the vice presidential you, you candidate. You never say Obama-Biden. I mean. Some know. people do. Well. But they usually choke on the word <laughs> Biden right. or something. I don't know. They laugh. Right. Okay. So let's, let's get on to the, what the Libertarian Party did this week. So Fox News published August 18th, Libertarian Party eyes spoiler role in 2012 race. And again, I have to give a hat tip to Kent Gardner on pointing this one out to me. It says, Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson almost certainly can't win the presidential election this year. But his supporters claim he could determine who does. Johnson, the former New Mexico governor who briefly and unsuccessfully competed for the Republican presidential nomination before joining the Libertarians, is polling barely above 5% nationwide. Yet his numbers in key battleground states suggest he could make a difference in what is shaping up to be a tight contest between President Obama and Mitt Romney. He, Johnson, was rating at 13% in New Mexico and 9% in Arizona in recent polling. Not enough to win, but certainly enough to disadvantage whichever major party candidate he's drawing votes away from. The Libertarian Party is now touting that possibility. An emailed statement from the organization earlier this week carried a rather sensational subject line, which was, and I said this earlier, Libertarian presidential candidate Gary Johnson could deprive Mitt Romney of five battleground states, 74 electoral votes, 27% of the votes needed to win in 2012. So the Libertarians reasoned Johnson then could determine the winner of the election. And then they say it's impossible to gauge at this point what effect that he could have, 
but it's not unprecedented for a third-party candidate to tilt the scales. And they talk about the 1992 election where Ross Perot won about 19% of the popular vote. And many people think that that cut into the GOP, no doubt. George H.W. Bush's uh, take, and then it put Bill Clinton into the Oval Office. Now, with respect to that, we may not be so unhappy given right. George H.W. Bush versus right. Bill Clinton. I mean, you know, given some of the what we talked about last week. But nonetheless, it's just showing you that these third-party candidates can have that effect. You know, Clinton was a nihilist, a pretty conventional politician, even though on the left. But he was he was willing to go right at times. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, it's not not the nihilist like no. uh, like Obama. Romney and Obama apparently are separated by single digits in some of the battleground states: Colorado, Florida, Nevada, North Carolina, and Virginia. And then the article goes on to say, well, in Colorado, it's hard to say which way the libertarian vote would have gone if there wasn't, you know, Johnson. Some people think that. The people who would vote for Gary Johnson might have voted for Obama. It's hard to tell. But nonetheless, the point is you don't know what's going on. And the Libertarian Party's executive director, Carla Howell, defends Johnson as not just somebody who can determine through the the margins, but a serious candidate. And this is what she says. She says, quote, this is an election between two very similar candidates. Gary Johnson is a real choice for what people really care about. And she says he stands for a lot of things that people want. Now, first of all, Gary Johnson isn't perfect. Certainly. What? Yeah, certainly not perfect. Yeah, there but was, his, his uh, supporters think he is, so. It's it's true, it's true. But wasn't there a statement recently, Bosch, where he said that both Occupy and Tea Party Yeah, him, him. And Ron Paul. That's why I call Johnson uh, Soft Paul. Yeah, so you've got Ron Paul and Soft Paul. There's been a lot of foreign policy problems with Johnson. Yeah. So there was that embarrassing Fox interview. Very embarrassing. Where he basically was you know, saying, oh, my standard for foreign policy American is interest. American national self-interest. And yet when confronted with an, of something that you, he called... I think gen- Uganda. Yeah. He said, well, it's genocide. It's genocide. There, so therefore, therefore w- that trumped his his foreign policy principles. Yeah, so, there, so there's that. And uh, one person on Facebook who's called into this show before, Ed Maslisch, he pointed out that during the last week where you've had um, Iran, again, uh, calling for the destruction of Israel... Johnson has said nothing, nothing at all. No. So how is it that you know he applies a non-interventionist policy to him and to us, but he's not going to denounce the statements of an Ahmadinejad or something? So that's pretty bad. And then in terms of his budget, I'm really glad. I mean, I would love to see a real electable candidate Absolutely. cut 43% of the budget of across the board. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? But at the same time, do you want the... 43% to be literally flat across the board cuts, which I think with some exceptions, that's the kind of thing that Johnson has been talking right. about. I, I would rather see, as I've talked about so many times in the past, this gradual peeling back of the layers of the onion of government intervention and subsidies and taxes and everything else. I would follow the last in first out. I wouldn't just say, okay, let's just cut 43% across the, the board and be happy. Let's get rid of departments, you know, entire no. departments based on the last that work. I'd love to see the TSA go. Absolutely. You know, for example. Obamacare and all this. Uh, Obamacare, of course, huge. TSA. So, you know, the, so, so, so there are problems with him. But, but let's grant that Gary Johnson is just miles above even Mitt Romney, that, that we would prefer to vote no for it. Johnson over Romney Ryan if, if, and this is the question, this is the this is the whole issue, if he had a chance of being elected. He has no chance in hell, and that's the whole issue here. He doesn't, and the only we thing... we got to get Obama out. The only thing he can do, the only thing that Johnson has the power to do right now... Help Obama. ...is help Obama. Uh, and uh, if you vote for Johnson, you are helping Obama, regardless of yeah. your intent. So, so the and, and the only way to get Obama out effectively this election is by casting yeah. that ballot, not necessarily enthusiastically endorsing, no. but casting the ballot for the Romney Ryan. Someone ticket. on Facebook said we have to Romney him out, and that's the whole thing. That's the only way you get Obama out through Romney. All right. That's it. All right. That's what we're limited to. 
hence our intervention series. So what is this? Now, again, I said there's a heavy dose of tongue-in-cheek calling this intervention. Intervention, as I understand it, I, the last time I watched anything having to do with intervention, it was an episode of The Office, an old episode of The Office. And this one was and they And they try to do an intervention <laughs> For is it Meredith is the yeah, employee right, 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 who was right. the alcoholic or whatever? Right. So as I understand, what an intervention is is that you've got family, friends. In this case, at the office, it was coworkers, but you know Michael Scott always sees them all as family. Each person who's sitting there is supposed to tell the alcoholic what his drinking behavior has done to him or her, how it is injured. Now, it's you know, you're supposed to be surrounded by people that you actually care about. No. So then if you're the alcoholic, you feel very bad that you've hurt these people with your behavior, and that's supposed to encourage you to seek professional help. So obviously we don't mean a literal intervention <laughs> in this case. And and we especially in this case, we, we understand if we're talking to potential or actual Gary Johnson voters, we're talking to libertarians or objectivists. No. Fellow travelers, I mean, yeah. if not, Pe you know. People who are fans of Ayn Rand. Fellow objectivists. And, and presumably these people are influenced by not just Ayn Rand's politics, but her morality, her philosophy of rational self-interest. And that they don't want to see the country go to hell under Obama, you know. Well, no, time. no, of course there's that. I but, know that. But, but, but no, but the point here is that, that I'm going to appeal to your self-interest. I have to appeal to your self-interest yeah. if, if I'm going to appeal to you because you've been influenced by Rand. And after all, you don't know us. You don't know me. You don't know Bosch, really. You may not like us. You may not care about us at all. So it's not going to do us any good to say, well, look at the horrible things you'll do to me if you vote for Gary Johnson. Right. So what do I want to do? I want to tell you what your voting behavior, which will, I believe, and I think I'm right here, it's only going to help Obama get four more years, what it's going to mean not for us, because, I mean, why should you care about us? You don't really know us, but for you, how bad it's going to be for you. Um as I said, our attitude towards Romney Ryan, I don't see it as being super enthusiastic. I've seen people, you know, objectivists and, and Ayn Rand fans out there vary through, you know, being enthusiastic supporters of the Romney Ryan ticket. Cautious. Yeah. Uh, other people saying that it would be a, it's a catastrophe that Paul Ryan was nominated Chilean. to the ticket or chosen for the ticket, although I think that that position maybe has been softened a bit. Yes. Uh, we ourselves more as kind of in the middle among objectives. I mean, just in the last week, I have been following the Vice President Paul Ryan page on Facebook, and I've seen him talk about China. Yeah. Uh, he he is just as vague as Romney is about China and their so-called cheating behavior. He's echoing Mitt Romney when he tried yeah. to go real populist in the in the debates. I mean, you know, what what good is it going to do for the family, the American family who is financially struggling, who counts on the ability to buy cheap goods from China, maybe at stores like Walmart. I mean, that's the stereotype that they sell a lot of goods made in China there. If you're counting on the availability of some of these goods and then, uh, you know, Romney Ryan want to come and just throw some tariffs on them, that is not free market. So I would like them to be so much clearer about that. There was, of course, the campaign sign at one event that I saw. It was preserving Medicare or something right. like that as the rallying cry, you know, where he had Paul Ryan had his mother there. The idea of the preservation of Medicare, I mean, when it turns out that substantively, I think Ryan is, as Jerome Brook talked about last week, taking some serious steps towards trying to yep. get rid of it. Obviously, I'm not thrilled with positions of uh, Paul Ryan on abortion and things like that. But nonetheless, I realize, you know, that the only way to get Obama out is by casting my ballot in favor of this ticket. And I guess I'm just, it's kind of, for me, the jury's out about how much tequila I'm going to have to drink <laughs> when I actually go right. in. You know, there's things, of course, that we and, might learn. And the worm now and or, then. or not the worm, that's the question. I don't want those worms. Okay, yeah, but maybe. I mean, maybe it might do, you know, it might get real bad. I, re I really don't want those worms. Oh, so Daniel is in the chat room saying that he talked to Gary Johnson about China last week. Yeah, uh, Daniel, we totally agree that as far as we understand Mitt Romney to be advocating some sort of tariffs to yeah. punish China. Some tariffs. I, as I recall, I mean, it's been a while since we talked about this, but as I recall during the debates, the only reason or one of the sole reasons that Mitt Romney cited for going ahead and slapping tariffs on Chinese goods 
was because the Chinese government was manipulating the currency in order to make the goods artificially cheap. A real free market person, I assume this is what Gary Johnson would say, would say, look, if they want to manipulate their currency in order to make their goods artificially cheap, and you know, it's basically like a company setting its prices artificially low. We actually just saw another episode of The Office <laughs> where there was a the the Michael Scott paper company, you know, separated off from uh, Dunder Mifflin, and they put their prices so low that they they weren't sustainable, right? You know, they were going to go out of business. If China is going to do that to its people, it's horrible. It's a terrible thing to do to make the prices of these things artificially low. But if we're able to buy those things, it's not going to help anymore to go ahead and for us to slap additional right. tariffs on them. And the only reason that Romney uh, brought that up during the debates was because he always got applause for it. You know, always got applause. Oh, yeah, because always. everyone's... Exactly. Yeah. He, I mean, I, you know, I remember learning in the most basic economics class that if you've got some other country making things really cheap, even artificially putting their prices low, you may as well benefit from it and free up resources in your own economy to invest in other things and do other things cheaper. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that this uh, Harold, who's a, a listener sometimes on the show, he posted on the webpage. I don't know how this was relevant to your own interview last week, but he posted it. It well, was. He always calls in. Always. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, sometimes he calls in stuff with off, a little bit off topic too. But he posted an article saying that there's these new robots that are going to replace people in manufacturing. There, you know, of course you would assume that robotics is getting better and better. Well, so that's good, right? I mean, it's terrible in the short term, you think, for that one person, right? But if the person can be retrained and then their labor can be made that much more valuable, say, helping to create and manufacture these robots, which are freeing, you know, making everybody more productive. So eventually, it makes all of us more productive, all of these innovations. Same thing if another country offers us a good that's cheaper. We always benefit by keeping our trade barriers low. That's the that's the best way. Uh, so, could we ask for um, Gary Johnson voter would be voter to call in and make the case for him in in a in a short like in a minute or two? I mean, if they can. Sure, if they want to, if they want to go ahead and, and call and do it, that would be that would be fine. And you see the number there seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven. In the meantime, what I would like to do is start talking about some of the facts that I want to lay in front of you about what four more years of Obama would look like. Uh, just as a little bit of introduction here, everybody knows from listening to Yaron Brook, perhaps also to John Allison, I anticipate talking about this yep. with John Allison in the coming weeks, housing crisis caused by government intervention into the economy, particularly Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Under Obama, we have seen a push for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to get even more involved in the housing industry. I remember talking about this on the blog, and I've also watched videos passed around by Peter Schiff, that uh, they have tried to get Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac into guaranteeing mortgages on multifamily dwellings. So they want to expand from the single-family dwelling mortgage right. business to the multifamily mortgage business. And I watched a video in which Peter Schiff testified in front of Congress, and he was the only voice of reason telling them how insane this was, how Schiff as well had predicted the housing bubble and, right. the, and the crisis and all that, and that this was just another version of the same thing. Inevitable. He also pointed out how all the people who were urging the government to get involved in this were people who stood to themselves personally, financially benefit from these government guarantees of loans for these multifamily housing projects. So it's a bunch of crony capitalism, and they just, under Obama, have been trying to push to expand it. So then I see this article, Fannie Freddie Bailout Receives Revamp, and this is updated August 17th on the Wall Street Journal. And it talks about a Treasury Department revamp of its financial support for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And what they're doing under the revamp is that the Treasury Department will capture all the profits that they post in any given quarter rather than requiring a 10% annual dividend payment. As I understand, the profits have fallen short of the point where they could pay this 10% annual dividend payment. And what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have been doing is borrowing money from the government right. in order to make 
dividend payments back to the government, which is just perverse, but you know, this is this is government. The administration and the Treasury Department, there's a Treasury advisor here by the name of Michael Stegman, who's quoted in the article, they're characterizing this as, quote, the next step toward responsibly winding down, end quote, the two mortgage finance terms. So they're trying to portray this as, yes, we're still winding down, uh, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mm -hmm. Mac. This is just a way that we're responsibly doing it. On the other hand, Republicans who are critical of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and in particular, one Republican whose goal is to eliminate Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and also remove at least most, because he's a Republican, most federal backing from the mortgage market. He says that they've done absolutely nothing to work with Congress and that, in, in fact, that this last revamp that they're doing through the Treasury Department that it's this move is going to do just the opposite, that it is, in effect, going to perpetuate the involvement of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac into the market. Now, how does that work, right? Because the thing that's interesting about this is that you have them you know, borrowing less money, you have them paying back all the profits to the government, and yet he's saying that it's going to perpetuate it. So how does that work? So I, I, I know that I'm going to get more help from this on John Allison in, in the coming weeks, but I will tell you my best understanding uh, that I got from this article here. Now, first of all, the thing we have to know is that you blame Bush for the for the takeover of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And that this happened apparently in September of 2008 through a legal process known as conservatorship, you know, because they wound up – and of course – the problems that they had, we blame on Bush because right. he said, famously, what Bush? He said, uh, "Too many Anglo- too many Anglo's own homes." Yes, I mean that, that's yeah. what he said. So, so he Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have to make it Hispanics, so, yeah, so that you know more uh, non-Anglo's, I guess, own homes, and so therefore <laughs> they're encouraging the purchase. Of, so he was part of it. Yeah, he was he, part of the whole. Yeah, part part of the whole problem. problem. And so then he also initiated the takeover. Since then, this article from the Wall Street Journal says, taxpayers have injected a total of nearly $188 billion into these companies. $188 billion, nearly $0.2 trillion have gone into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So we say, okay, well, let's blame this on Bush. Well, one thing is, as I said, Obama has pushed to get Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac involved in multifamily housing now. So just get them to create a bubble in a new area of the housing market. But the other thing that is interesting is that in 2009, under Obama's watch, the Treasury amended its agreements with Fannie and Freddie to provide unlimited financial support to Fannie and Unlimited through 2012. Okay, so that created a problem, right? Because then you've got this borrowing in order to pay back dividends and things like this. So what it says is that the Treasury was given senior preferred shares of stock, and that stock pays the 10% dividend. And in order to get this guaranteed 10% dividend, though, the companies were borrowing money from the Treasury and then paying it back. This is horrible, unsustainable. It says Fannie and Freddie have paid a total of nearly $46 billion back to the government. So if you think about, we've given them $188 billion, they've given us back $46 billion. Yeah. Of course, we never see it again, but it's been taxed from us and given to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Then it says, both companies have started reporting profits in recent quarters after years of huge losses. Uh, they've been buoyed by stabilizing home prices and then what they want to do is they want to capture these profits. And they said the, the capture of the profits is going to dispel any notion in the markets that the holdings of the common shareholders is going to be worth anything at all. Because what happened? As soon as the Treasury made this move, any common shareholders in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, their shares went down by more than 50%. So... There's not going to be any value in these securities. Then you say, okay, well, um, another part of this agreement, this new Treasury agreement, is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have to shrink their holdings by 15%. That also sounds good, right? So you'd say, well, how is this not phasing Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac out? Well, here's the clincher. It says the changes are designed to avoid the prospect that Fannie and Freddie could one day exhaust their Treasury support 
simply because they might not generate enough product uh, profits to pay back the dividends. So what they're doing is they're trying to perpetuate the U.S. Treasury's support of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They want to sustain that connection between the Treasury guaranteeing all the loans through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So As John is, notes, it's all about votes. It oh, is, it of, is of course. Base. Of course it's, it's about votes. So sustain Fr- Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, sustain the support for it from the Treasury. Yep. That's what all of this is about, and that's what the Obama administration is doing. And as I said, I mean, Obama... He's built, a, he's built up an army of, of voters in a sense, I mean, but he's lost a whole ton also. Yeah, and, 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 and he's also working, like I said, to expand them into this new market of multifamily yep. housing. Now, that's him. That's Obama versus Paul Ryan. Get a load. This other Wall Street Journal piece, August 17th. And it's an opinion piece or review and outlook or whatever section. It says, if only they had listened. And the subtitle is, Ryan was a voice for Fannie Mae reform while Obama opposed it. And then they talk about way back in 2000, Ryan was a first-term congressman, and he signed his name to the Housing Finance Regulatory Improvement Act, which who knows yeah. all that's in it, right? But of the, you know this particular act, it says of 435 members of the House, only 12 were willing to join Paul Ryan in sponsoring a bill to reduce the taxpayer risks no. at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And then eight years after that, to the day, it says, a federal bailout of the two mortgage giants was on its way to the desk of President George W. Bush. And as we know, he signed it. Uh, almost $190 billion in taxpayer financing later, the toxic twins of the housing crisis maintain their massive role in mortgage finance. And then they talk about the revamp you know, that we just discussed, the U.S. Treasury, it's revamping. And they're saying, but the deal suggests that they're going to continue, the U.S. Treasury is going to continue to slap taxpayer-backed guarantees on mortgage bonds forever or until there's a reformer in the White House. And then they say, if only there had been a few more reformers on Capitol Hill in 2000, because Fannie and Freddie and their army of, quote, affordable housing lobbyists saw to it that the plan backed by Mr. Ryan never made the House floor. The bill would have limited the assets that the toxic twins could hold, would have increased their capital, added new federal oversight, and removed their credit lines at the Treasury. And see, that's what they're trying to do. The administration now is trying to maintain the credit lines at the Treasury through, instead of doing this dividend thing, just recouping the profits and not talking about whether those dividends are being paid, right? The other thing is he didn't just do it in 2000 when he was a newbie freshman. He In 2002, he also sponsored a bill to remove the exemptions that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac enjoyed from the disclosure requirements in federal security law. Uh, he also continued his lonely effort to reform the mortgage giants, and it says he endured their a usual political wrath. So this is what happened to Paul Ryan because he kept going after Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. He told the Wall Street Journal writers here that Fannie once called every mortgage holder in his district claiming falsely that Mr. Ryan wanted to raise the cost of their mortgage mm. and asking if Fannie could tell the congressman to stop on their behalf. He received some 6,000 telegrams because of this misrepresentation by Fannie Mae to the hmm. mortgage holders in Paul Ryan's district. This is the dir- dirty politics that they play. Uh, and then they compare Paul Ryan's attitude towards this reform to Obama. It says, Obama likes to pretend he was a warning voice in the wilderness because he later issued vague statements of displeasure once the housing market was already cracking. And, and the article says, what Mr. Obama doesn't say is that he failed to support any of the serious reform efforts to reduce the role of Fannie and Freddie in the mortgage market. Uh, they, they said the same is true of the old Senate hand, Joe Biden. Romney was never a politician, so he, can, he can't be blamed for the legislature you know, failures of the 2000s. So they say, look at this history. It bears further study because Obama repeatedly attempts to tie GOP candidates to Washington's policy mistakes 
In Iowa this week, the president said that Mrs. Romney and Ryan are proposing the same economic policies, quote, that got us into this mess in the first place. You've heard him say that. Mm-hmm. And, and the authors finished the piece by saying this. They say the truth is that the president who loves to talk about the mess he inherited did nothing to prevent it when he had the chance. In contrast, his opponent's new running mate was an early voice for reforms that might have helped America avoid it. So there's a stark contrast. I think we've got a couple callers, so after I've went ahead and and portrayed that picture to you, I think we go ahead and talk a little bit. Let's see. Hi, is this Daniel? Howdy. Howdy. So, How are you, Amy? Yeah, so what, what's your what's your reason for wanting to vote for Johnson? Right, and I will be voting for, for Johnson in 2012. My reason is threefold. Um, first off, analyzing the Republicans, there is no reason to trust Ryan or Romney. Romney mm-hmm. is the father of the health care bill that we all think is going to destroy the country. Okay. So when he says that he's going to repeal it, why on earth should any of us believe him? Similarly okay. to Paul Ryan, he claims. Uh, l- let me. Uh, I got a got a few points. Let me. Uh, yeah. Let me try and snatch him in here. So first off, Ryan, if he's so principled, how can you possibly explain his voting record? And in fact, if you look at it in relation to things that Ayn Rand said about Reagan, where she damned Reagan for his opposition to abortion, and she wrote extensively about how conservatism as it was being formed in the 80s, is nothing but an intellectual dead end that will result in the rise of communism. Right, so okay. So to me, so, I that, think that the that, notion that the Republicans will dest- or the Democrats will somehow destroy the economy in four years, which I question that logic. Mm-hmm. I have yet to see an argument for that. But so will the Republicans. George Bush is like pre-Obama Obama. Obama is just merely continuing down the path that the Republicans enabled them to go along through their eight years of bad policies under George Bush. Okay. So I see so that, that, That's all under the trust issue? You don't trust them to do anything well, better? Well, I think that they're evil. I think that they're just straight up evil. I think Paul Ryan is an evil man. He okay, so, opposes, opposes abortion. Okay. I mean, you can't. He's like, he supports the personhood bill. He is for the enslavement of women. He is against gay marriage. He cannot be trusted on issues of civil liberties. He's already helped destroy them. Daniel, what do you think about Obama? I think Obama is far safer on civil liberties, despite the fact that he continues the Patriot Act. Obama has a tendency to let things get done for him, which I like about Obama, because it means that he's going to be doing less. He just okay. takes credit for it. I mean, sure, we'll have a Peter Keating in office. I'd rather have that than, like, Fred Kinnon, I guess, which is what Ryan and Romney remind me of. Um, but nonetheless, I don't think Obama is really capable of destroying this entire country in four years. There's no damage that he can do that we can't repair. It's, it's an opportunity. But to give the Republicans power right now over Obama is just going to be continuing either for them to push their social policies, which okay. I cannot. Okay, Daniel, I'm trying, I'm, trying, yeah, sure. I'm trying to keep track of your three points. So you said trust, and then you started talking about social issues. What is that your second? Well, basically, the, the the Republicans, the Republicans trust social issues. They'll destroy the economy. The Democrats, I don't believe, are powerful enough to destroy the economy. And Gary Johnson actually has integrity and is rational. And I've actually had the chance to deal with him firsthand and i agree with all of his policies okay. so i have an opportunity to vote for someone i i believe in that is good and the notion that he can't be elected is exactly what they told him in new mexico which is a democratic state and he came in not as a politician but as a business owner and the republicans told him you can't possibly win you're polling too terribly low and then he won two terms and balanced the budget without raising taxes Okay. So, I mean, that would be my argument for Johnson. So it's, it's the trust issue, it's the civil liberty social issues, and you don't, you don't believe that the Democrats can really destroy the economy, and at the same time you think you're going to enjoy voting for somebody that you actually agree with for a change versus a Republican that is going to be very... Well, I think, he can, 
I think if he can get in the debates, he can humiliate both of uh, Obama and Romney and he, change change but, the tide. But Daniel, he's terrible in debates. He's, he's been terrible. bad in past debates. Anyway, we, we've got just a few minutes, so I'm going to go That's ahead and try to address these. But okay, thanks. I tried to try to sum up and give what we can here to what time we can to that. Okay, so let me see what I can address here now. First of all, the trust issue. Yeah, phone calls. Well, I know we got two more phone calls. We don't have time for two more phone calls, unfortunately. So we've got the we've got the trust issue here. Tell them to make it short. No, a minute. And I then, mean, and then we'll talk about that. Okay, we can. Let's let's see if we can get. I've got those I've got those points written down. So let me see if anybody's got a point that is different from this. Hello, Are, can you hear me? Do you also have a, an argument for voting for Gary Johnson? Selectively, only in three states, states which are already slightly Democrat. Talking about New Mexico, Maine, Hello. and Oregon. Hello. Okay, this is Harold, I think, right? Sorry. Yeah, this is Harold, the classical liberal. I already talked about your argument earlier, so we'll go but ahead. Said, sorry, sorry, I missed the first half of the show, but I think this is a way to knock out Romney without oh, without risking Obama getting in. We we talked about that earlier in the show, so we'll we'll Too go ahead and address that in a minute here. Okay, one sec. Let me get one more. Hi. So. Hello? Hello. Oh, hi, Amy. Can you hear me? This is Debbie. Debbie, you don't have an argument for voting for Gary Johnson, right? (laughs) No, no, no. So I don't want to, so I don't have to, uh, if you wanted to talk about that, I can just call back next week or something. You address what Daniel, right? So Daniel talks about the issue of not being able to trust Romney, especially because Romney was the architect of. You know, the I don't know if you can trust any politician. Romney Care. Yeah, can you really trust any of these politicians? Um, the voting record of Ryan, the issue of abortion, and then also that he is skeptical of whether the Democrats can really destroy the economy in the last few years. So let me see if I can, or, you know, or in the next few years, let me see if I can address that. Um, in terms of what kind of damage someone like Obama can do, I think that Daniel sees Obama fundamentally differently than I do. I see Obama as a true egalitarian nihilist, much worse than someone like a Peter Keating who just wants to grab off some stuff for himself. And again, I I refer people back to the quotation that I highlighted from your own last week on the Blog Talk Radio. Actually, if you go to Don't Let It Go on her page, you'll see a link to this. But I highlighted this quote where your own talks about the damage of Obama having the bully pulpit and talking about egalitarianism as the being the American way of life and poisoning in our minds what America Appealing stands for. Appealing to the worst so, Americans. So uh, he's way more ideological, I think. The other thing is he has tried to do everything that he can, whatever power he can grab. And as he says, in the second term, he's going to have a lot more flexibility. Mm-hmm. He has shown you know, a lot of friendship with a lot of foreign nations where he can do a lot of damage, too. So it's not just domestically that he can do damage. Um, in, in terms of voting records, uh, one thing that we talked about last week with your own and that I agree with is that you do have politicians and they are voting the lesser of two evils. I've just given you one example of Ryan being sort of a lone voice for the most reasonable positions in the House about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I think that we can dig up a lot more of this as well, but Ryan admits that sometimes he votes a certain way, not because he believes that that bill is good, but because of the lesser of two two evils, and that's what we have to sometimes be willing to vote for. Uh, Trust, can you trust any politician? Mm. Abortion, I think what we need to do is decide really where the biggest danger lies in the next several years, and I don't know that there's going to be enough issues. I refer you to a quotation about the voting between Nixon and McGovern that is on, uh, it's called aristotleadventure.blogspot.com, and Rand says, I'm not an admirer of President Nixon, but I urge every able-minded voter to vote for Nixon as a matter of national emergency. This is no longer an issue of choosing between the lesser of two commensurate evils. The choice is between a flawed candidate and the perfect candidate of its primordial enemies. If there were some campaign organization called Anti-Nixonites for Nixon, it would be named it would it would name my position. She says the worst thing about Nixon is not that he cannot be trusted, which is true. 
He cannot be trusted to save this country. But one thing is certain, McGovern can be trusted to destroy it. End quote. And that's how I think we stand right now with respect to Obama. Just for reference, this is volume one, number 22 of the Ayn Rand letter. You can find it. And then the question is, do you think we are in that situation right now? And we've only got a few seconds, but um, I do think that we are in the same kind of situation. And we'll talk in the more about this as well. So, Debbie, I'm sorry, I could do have to say goodbye for today. If you want to comment on this show, please go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and leave comments there. If you do like the show, spread the word, and we will have more of our intervention series in the coming weeks. Thanks very much for tuning in. See you. Bye.